Welcome to the SMC 2021 podcast. What if God wanted to do something new in your life? This is your fresh start. Welcome to our breakout. We're Dave and Rialana, and today we're talking about faith in the real world. It's a talk to college seniors who are soon going to transition from the college campus culture to what some people would call the real world. That's the post-college world where a new level of reality hits. It's a world of jobs, more freedom, new expectations, and new opportunities. There are more choices in the real world, which means more decisions and more consequences. But before we dive in, we wanted you to know more about us. Of course, by now you know that we are old. We've been married 33 years, and so in some ways we can't relate to you and your generation. But we have a secret superpower We have kids about your age. We love them and they love us and we're going through life together. So when we were asked to lead this breakout, we thought, let's treat everyone like they are our kids. So we are. We're going to talk to you just like you're our kids. Everything we'll be talking about and telling you, we would say to our own children. We have three. We have Leah, who is actually on staff at the University of Wyoming. We have Ben, who works internationally, and then Rebecca. She's a mom. She has a husband named Rob. And she, yeah, <laughs> Rob is amazing. You bet he sure is. So let's go back to the beginning. We met in 1984, right after Rialana came back from Kaleo, 1984. We're both involved in a college church ministry that eventually became student mobilization. I just finished a double major in engineering at Vanderbilt and started an MBA at the University of Arkansas. And Rialana was in her junior year in exercise science at the U of A. And after we graduated, we married in 1986, and I went to work for a company which became ConocoPhillips as an engineer in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. We lived in Oklahoma for four years, and then we moved out to the Texas Panhandle north of Amarillo. Rebecca was born in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and while we were living in Borger, Texas, Ben was born, and actually in the back seat of our car at a truck stop in Amarillo. Leah was also born in Amarillo, but thankfully not in in a car, but in in a hospital. hospital. Yeah, you bet. I got it right that time. Yes, we both did. So every time Ben passes through Amarillo, he stops and visits his birthplace, which is a parking space behind the Petro truck stop, exit 75. So we definitely lived in the real corporate world for eight years. And then we made what was for us a pretty big decision. We jumped the tracks in 1995 and left the corporate world. We took a pretty big pay cut and we joined the smaller version of student mobilization. We never expected to be in full-time ministry, but for the past 20 years, I've been the CEO of Stumo. Our college pastor back in the day, Steve Shadrach, and his wife, Carol, had the vision for Stumo in 1986, and I worked for Steve for five years. I love Stumo people, and I love what they do. My job is really just to help them be successful. If Stumo were an NBA team, our campus staff would be the talent out on the court, and I'd be the general manager way in the background. And during this time, I was a stay-at-home mom, and as we had made this transition into ministry life, I felt some pressure to adjust our family budget to a ministry salary. We had three small children at home, and one thing I had always loved to do was to shop secondhand, like garage sales and consignment stores. And one thing that developed during that time was a journey of me creating a little business. 
Yeah, real honest, the business. You know, and when I think back, Dave, it really just started in our living room. Mm-hmm. Um, you helped me move the furniture out of the living room, and I just invited some friends. I remember that I even invited someone to join me because I was an introvert. I was really nervous, but mm-hmm. nobody would do it with me, mm-hmm. so I had to do it myself. But that was a journey, and it started uh, – I realized since I was a mom that I really cared about other moms and the challenges that they face. And so I wanted to serve other moms while helping my own family. So what started with 11 consigners in my living room then has grown. Um, I now operate two consignment sales in central Arkansas. And then about 10 years ago, I actually decided to franchise Crazy idea, um, but I just felt like it was time to give it a shot. And so we franchised, and I now have over 100 franchises in 22 states. Yeah, I never expected that either. No. <laughs> well, our journey's been far from perfect. Sometimes it felt like we were just struggling to make it. Rilana has had two miscarriages. We've had two rounds of marriage counseling. One was 10 years ago, actually 10 years into our marriage. And then one was just last year. Yeah, that's right. We've both had professional struggles. We've had struggles at church. Uh, My wife's company was investigated by the federal government and ended up suing the government, Mm -hmm. which took about eight years. And we both went through COVID just like you guys. And we predict many more challenges ahead. So we wouldn't blame you if you had some concerns and fears moving into the real world. We can relate. There are a lot of unknowns and ways to make mistakes. But we want to encourage you, especially with one verse, which was written to a young leader who was also figuring out how to live his life. It's a message from Paul to his young disciple, Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul's communicating to Timothy, hey, you are up for this. Your age is not a problem. I believe in you. You have everything you need not only to to succeed, but to be an example to others. And we feel exactly the same way about you guys. You have what it takes, and you can be successful even when you're young. Yes, and as a mom, like I've told my kids, I want to tell you all that you can do this. I'll bet you have already made several good decisions that can help you in the next phase of life. For one thing, you're here at SMC, and that was a smart decision. You made a significant choice to be here today. And the decisions you make are going to impact every generation that comes after you. Think about your own parents' decisions and values and how much that has impacted you and so much of your life so far. That's going to be true of you also for your children and your grandchildren. And the beautiful thing is you can get started on these good decisions now. I mean, even this week, before you get a job in the real world, you don't have to wait until you graduate. So the first decision, which will impact the rest of your life and everyone in your future family, is a big one. The question we have for you is, which path are you really going to choose? Let's look at some important words of Jesus in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You've been on a road while you've been in college, and that path has brought you to SMC, and that is awesome. But over the years, we've seen people involved in many different campus ministries make different decisions than they made in college. People who seemed committed to Jesus in college ended up blending in with the world 
once they got away from campus. My thought has always been that this wasn't so much a conscious choice they made, but something that just happened. Let's look at some dot points about these verses. Jesus says there are two gates and two roads, and that's it. And they lead to two totally different destinations. You know, the world tells us there are many paths not to, and that they all lead to the same destination. But the world is very vague about this one destination. It's sort of left to the person to fill in the blank with their own view of what happens next. And that's because the total focus of this world is on the here and now. But Jesus talks all about both destinations a lot. He can because he's from that future destination. He tells about the coming kingdom. He talks about his father's house with many mansions. The book of Revelation is dedicated to prophecy about the end of these days and what comes next, complete with scenes and descriptions. And Jesus is equally descriptive about the other destination, which he calls destruction. Jesus came to tell us about his home. He knows it well, and he invites us to share it. And he's willing to give us a taste of it here and now through his spirit. But what does it mean to make this trip down the narrow road? Well, it starts with trusting Jesus with our lives now and with our lives to come. It means having eternal perspective. It probably means rejecting the world's values and going somewhere else for fulfillment and comfort and wisdom. So to me, faith in the real world is about making it down this narrow road and getting what it leads to, which is abundant life here and hereafter. Guys, this has been my entire goal all my life. And Rilan and I have been going down this road together for over 30 years. We want to make it down this narrow road with the hope that it will lead us to this incredible destination which Jesus calls life. And we've experienced this abundant life. So this is all we're talking about this hour, how to live in the real world on this narrow road. And the good news is, this is probably your goal too. We want to help you make this transition from college to the next phase of life and have an incredible experience. So the summer of 1985, I landed a pretty exclusive internship in Los Angeles during my MBA. About two-thirds of the way through the internship, my boss called me into a room with him and the VP of marketing of the company. They had a plan. They expected me to call their competitors on the phone, posing as a university student doing an academic project, but never mentioning that I worked for their competitor. Then I would ask questions and try to learn private company information and then pass on these company secrets to the VP. It's a pretty slick idea. Well, I told them that I wouldn't do it. And when the summer was over, do you think that I got a job offer? Of course not. I burned that bridge when I wouldn't go along with their plan. I wanted to follow the same kind of commitment that you can read about in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel was committed to his vision before he encountered his trial. I had no idea this situation was coming. But thankfully, I was already prepared. I don't want to fight for that same kind of preparation for you. I had two traveling companions on the road with me that day. I had vision and I had community. And for the rest of our time together, we'll be talking about how you can take vision and community with you into the real world. Yeah, vision and community. So these are your two assets, your treasures, your weapons. 
They're really the key to having faith in the real world, and you'll see you already have a great start on both of these. Vision and community can equip you and set you up with peace and joy and courage and wisdom to live a life of faith day after day. God knows what's coming each and every day, and so we should set up our lives ahead of time to live our days with Him. And if you do this, you'll be on the narrow road when you are our age and when this life on earth is over. So let's look at vision first. Vision is about you taking ownership of your trip down the narrow road, committing to the narrow road in every area of your life. So here's a question. What is true about you? When people think of you, what do they think? Typically, when you come to their mind, they'll think about your character, who you are, or your competence, what you're good at, or maybe both. So back in that room, those company leaders didn't know that I had some convictions about character, that I wasn't willing to be a liar and a cheater for them. Plus, my competence was working for me since I believe God could use my talents and my gifts in another way in another company. I wasn't desperate. I had other options. So vision is really about who you want to be, what you want to be true of you. The trials in the real world will show exactly who you are, your character, and your competence. Our next question is, what impact do you want to have? Your vision includes how you want to specifically follow Jesus and obey His commands in every area of your life. It includes your hopes and dreams that you're placing under God's direction. Here's what I mean. When I say vision, I really mean visions, plural. Your goals, passions, interests, giftings, spelled out ahead of time. So you can pray through them and work toward them and use your vision to handle trials that come your way. So here's some examples of what I mean. We know that Jesus is concerned about the poor and needy. So what's your strategy to be involved? Jesus plans to reach every tribe with the gospel. So what's your specific vision to be involved? You have a passion for fill in the blank. If you gave that to God, how would you specifically start using that passion to bless others? What will your personal ministries be? Can you plan to have a spiritual impact in your workplace? Yes, you can, even before you know where you will work. I think you want to be involved one way or another with all the things that interest Jesus and have lots of different impacts, either with your time or your finances or your prayers. You'll have the joy of being involved in what God is doing, and these will be treasures which you're laying up in heaven. You'll have blessings here and hereafter. Man, this is exciting stuff. And once you know where you're going to be working and your salary and your budget, you'll actually be able to put together a pretty detailed plan of how you want to impact the world. You could even write out a life purpose statement and write down objectives in each area of your life, your character, your competence, and your impact. But vision doesn't start that way with all of these details. It starts with just a few ideas that God puts in your heart. So I've asked Rialana to say a few words. Here she is as a junior in college. Uh, and we've actually got our 1984 Kaleo Summer Project Notebook. It's a family heirloom. <laughs> I asked Rialana to take a second and share what she was thinking way back then in her college days. 
So Riolana, back then, what were your hopes and dreams for yourself and your family? And what differences did you want to see compared to the family that you grew up in? Well, Dave, when I was a sophomore in college at the University of Arkansas is when I found Christ and he changed my life, giving me so much hope. You see, I grew up the daughter of a highly decorated war hero. My dad passed away last year and he was the bravest man I've ever known. He faced challenges in war that I cannot even imagine. Killing the enemy, saving the lives of his soldiers, jumping out of a helicopter moments before it exploded, carrying the wounded on his back for miles while crawling on his hands and knees to avoid enemy fire, being wounded himself in battle but not giving in to the pain, all while leading his soldiers to safety and victory. He cared deeply for the men he led. It's the stuff movies are made of. But it was all actually very real. And, and even a book was written and a TV documentary was produced about my dad. My dad suffered the rest of his life because of the scars of war. And these same scars affected our family. You see, my parents did not know Jesus intimately, although they did come to faith later. And by the time my dad passed away last year, he was walking closely with Jesus and enjoyed boldly sharing his faith with others. But my dad did not understand how to be a good father and express his love to his young daughter, even though he did love me fiercely. My dad understood survival because he had survived war. So he raised me to be a fighter and a survivor. He often treated me more like one of his soldiers. I went to training operations with him. I learned to repel walls, shoot rifles, and run fast. He had zero tolerance for tears or emotions, so I learned to not show them. He valued hard work, toughness, and winning. So I learned that when I performed well, whether in sports or academics, that was when I felt my dad's approval. He had a quick temper, so I learned to never make him angry. And my parents struggled in their relationship in those early years, and they fought often with each other. As the oldest child, I learned to be the peacemaker, hoping they would not fight. By God's grace, my parents stayed married, persevered, and experienced a deep relationship with each other in the last 15 years of my dad's life. But as a military family, we moved 22 times, and I went to four different high schools. Two were in Germany before moving back to the States for my senior year in high school in Leavenworth, Kansas. I was miserable, so I graduated halfway through my senior year and started college as a 17-year-old living in an apartment without a car attending the University of Arkansas. I was basically a lonely, insecure, socially awkward introvert. My life felt like it was on sinking sand, and I was looking for answers. Since I didn't have a car, I walked to church on Sundays and found what I was looking for, God's Word that gave me answers to build my life on. Jesus became my solid rock, the perfect Father who loved me intimately. I found truth that I could apply to my life that filled the emotional gaps in my heart. I began to have a glimmer of hope and a very small vision for my future, that I would someday have a family centered around Jesus, one that would love each other, love Christ, and serve others. I had spent many years desperately searching for acceptance and emotional security, needing to be loved and approved by boys, and I had experienced many unhealthy romantic relationships. Finally, I realized that Jesus was my perfect love, and I could be satisfied with His approval alone. It was a beautiful, peaceful place to finally be. At that time, I was single and finally satisfied with my singleness. 
Jesus became my very best friend. He saved me from a life of sinking sand and became my solid rock on which I could build my life. He became my lifeline, my hope, and my guiding light. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and my defender. Sweetheart, thanks for sharing that. That's really, really special, and I appreciate your transparency with with these folks. I really watched Rialana transform from that struggling college student with a lot of uncertainties about our future into a leader and an influencer, but it didn't happen overnight. A lot of hard work, spiritual growth, many tough decisions happened along the way. It's been a 35-year journey. And the same will be true of you. You can decide what you want to bring forward from your family and what do you want to leave behind, what character, competencies, and impact you want to try for. And I say go for it. Your vision is going to be one overall vision, and that's going to be to glorify God on the narrow road, but it's going to be supported by a lot of different individual visions in each area of your life. Your vision for your relationship with God, how you'll structure your time with Him. Vision for your family. And you can think about this even while you're single. What kind of husband or wife you'll be or what kind of parent you want to be. You can think ahead on this. And then you'll know more about what kind of spouse that you're looking for. Vision for your career and your workplace. Again, your competencies. What kind of expertise do you want to develop? You know, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in anything. And so you might want to begin thinking about what you would give 10,000 hours uh, to do. Your personal ministry goals. There are so many ways to be in ministry that it, you can have an impact without being a full-time minister. That's you know, right. we did that for, mm-hmm. for eight years. You can have a ministry within your workplace. You can reach people there that Stumo and your church can't even dream of reaching. We held an evangelistic Bible study in our home with friends and coworkers back in the 1990s. And one of my coworkers, Dan, came to Christ during that time. So at Phillips, I was never asked to compromise, but I was selected for a special project to overhaul the entire medical benefits plan for the company, 12,000 employees. And here's how they did it. The corporate human resources department hired a high powered consulting firm, which came up with this plan. First, they asked the company to select 12 out of the 12,000 employees. And the qualifications were first, they had to be high performers. Second, they had to be team players. And third, they had to come from a broad range of occupations within the company. And so I was selected. I was one of the 12. And they brought all 12 of us together from around the country. They whined and dined us for a while so we could get to know each other. And then they flew us to Dallas at the top floor of an executive building. They had us sit in a circle. And then all around us, four or five consultants were ready with these big pads of paper to record our feedback. And then the lead consultant got up in front of us and said, okay, we want you to brainstorm. Remember, no answer is a bad answer. Let your mind roam free. (laughs) And the question is, what are your needs? That's it. What are your needs? Now remember, relax, no bad answers. Take a minute to think. Okay, let's begin. And then the consultant looked straight at me and said, Dave, what are your needs? And so I said, 
Jesus. Well, my answer sort of jolted him. He wasn't really expecting that. He made a sort of a little sound and then said, okay, what's next? You know, next person. Well, the next answer from the next person was Bible. And then the next answer was church and then family. And after the first round, 11 of the 12 answers were about either faith or family. And what the company had done by selecting strong uh, performers and team players, they picked 11 of the strongest believers in the entire company. So it didn't turn out like they expected, but we eventually got down to the answers they were looking for, you know, about medical benefits. So we helped them. But it really taught me that like a Joseph or like a Daniel, believers should work hard and set a good example and represent Jesus through their excellent work. And you sort of had an example from your experience in, um, in your, your fight with the government. Yeah, you know, when we follow biblical principles and live these out in our life, people notice them uh, because they're often different from the way the world operates. And so um, when I was in this journey, when I was battling the government, um, there was in these early years, I would be on these phone calls with D.C. attorneys. And I had never spoken to attorneys in my entire life. And I was terrified. I kept thinking any day they're going to realize I'm an imposter. I'm a stay-at-home mom who doesn't know anything. Um, But I did the best I could. And every day, you know, they would grill me on the way our company worked and and our operations manual. And I just told I just told them the truth. And if I didn't know the answer, I said I didn't know. And anyway, I remember one time when they said, Riawana, we just we just really enjoy talking to you. Are there any other, you know, people out there like you? And I said, well, well, what do you mean? You know, I didn't know what they were talking Mm -hmm. about. And they said, well, you know, people who just tell the truth, like we're not used to dealing with clients who who tell the truth. We're used to dealing with clients who are looking to cheat and get by, take advantage of the government. And so I said, well, um, I'll be looking for other stay-at-home moms <laughs> that are being sued by the government who will tell the truth. Right. But it was, it was surprising to me that they were astonished that I just told the truth. Sure. So another great example of just how your faith can come up when you're just doing, uh, being a steward of the job that God's given you. You know, another thing we thought of is uh, short-term medical mission trips are ways that people who aren't in full-time ministry can have a huge, mm-hmm. huge impact if they're in the medical field. And sometimes they just need people to help along the way. I remember in the 2000s, I took a leader from our church door to door and I taught him how to share the gospel just like we do at Kaleo. He had never done that before. Well, he not only learned, he ended up quitting his business, going into church ministry And now he's a pastor of a church and he's training his whole congregation in how to share the gospel. And the last time I saw him, he was officiating your your dad's funeral. Yeah, it was really special. Very special. So you'll also want a vision for your health, like your physical and mental health. This might address your diet, changes you would want to make. It could even address recovery from addictions. You'll definitely want to have a vision for your finances, maybe how you'll get out of debt or how you'll give to godly visions, your personal development goals, all of these things you can start doing now, even before you have your first job. These things are going to outlast your first job. You'll be working on them for a lifetime, and your vision can change. We started out giving and praying for Stumo as financial supporters, but later we made this decision to sacrifice the corporate career and go all in and give my working years to reaching college students and reaching part of the unreached world. So developing your vision is a journey. It's not a destination. And you can start now. 
And what we've learned is that vision alone is not enough. Vision alone is just a good idea. You have to first have a good solid vision, of course, but there's no incredible idea that magically becomes successful. To really have true impact, you have to add diligence to your vision. You have to work on your vision. You have to adjust it. There's a lot of trial and error, a lot of success, and a lot of failure. Stumo, for instance, began as a great vision, and then it went through a 15-year design and launching phase. And then it took 10, almost 10 years of casting vision, working on the vision, reworking the vision. You know, when I was the CEO and I was working with Ted and Sean on, on Stumo, before we gained this new level of impact. And so Stumo today, it has a new level of impact. It's 10 times bigger than it was in the year 2000. And that's because Stumo's leaders and staff love the vision long enough to see it begin to explode. It was vision plus diligence. And you know, the same thing happened to your business, to Real Honest. Can you tell us what you were thinking back in those early years? Well, when I started, it was really just a ministry to moms, and the purpose was to clothe my own children. It wasn't meant to be a business. And I just felt that regardless of how big it became, I wanted to serve moms. And so it gradually did become a business. But I felt the struggles of moms since they were my own, and I wanted to help them be successful, and I wanted to add value to the lives of moms. So my mission statement with my business became to serve with love and integrity families everywhere with inviting excellent and valuable children's consignment events. So Dave, I experienced that vision Mm -hmm. plus diligence and hard work. It gave me the opportunity to have an impact for those around me. Mm -hmm. And so as I was slowly building my little business, I was committed to just making the next event better and excellent each time. I didn't have a financial goal in mind. I remember when you would ask me what my goals were, and Mm -hmm. I didn't really know. I just wanted it to keep getting better. I wanted to work hard and do my best every day. And really, it was just about doing the next right thing in front of me. But I do believe that the ability to do the next right thing as a Christian comes from walking closely with God every day and really listening to the quiet, still voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, I was thinking back when we were young and out of college and newly married, um, a couple of things that I think were key for me. First of all, I remember getting involved in some community Bible studies. These were Bible studies that were focused on God's Word. There were women involved that were from different denominations, but it gave me an opportunity to meet older women who I could learn from as mentors. And they taught me how to bring Jesus into my marriage, how to bring hospitality into our home, and how to raise godly children. And so, you know, um, through these years, it has been key to try to spend time with God every day. I I fail a lot. You know, it's easy to get distracted by the emails Mm -hmm. and the notifications on my phone or a crisis at work or I'm worried about my kids. But when I get up and really um, get my head and my heart in God's word and I fill my brain with godly wisdom, he gives me uh, the, the tools that I need to handle all the challenges coming my way that day. And just one little tip, practical tip I wanted yeah. to, to just mention was one thing I've learned is I really try not to look at my phone 
when I go to bed at night. Um, I try to plug it in away from my bed so that I don't go to sleep with a bunch of just digital stuff in my head. And so, and also it's, it has my alarm on it. And so, and also I have to get out of bed. I can't hit that snooze button. I've got to get out of bed, cross the room and pick up my phone. Um, I, I actually recommend even getting an old fashioned alarm clock is even better. It just sometimes we just are too connected to, I, I think, to our, our digital devices. Yeah, it's a two edged sword. <laughs> it serves us and it can hurt us. So there's another graphic um, that shows that that those early years of diligence exploded for you from serving those 11 moms in your living room to 33,000 moms. And that's just in central Arkansas. You've sold $22 million worth of children's clothing for 33,000 moms Mm -hmm. in the middle of Arkansas. And then when you started franchising, that vision has gone to about $135 million worth of children's clothing nationwide and you've served 175,000 hardworking moms on a budget. So it's interesting just how those early years of diligence have exploded and you've donated millions of dollars and others of your franchise owners have donated millions of dollars to foster families Mm -hmm. and to needy families. And so starting with those years, loving the vision, diligently working the vision uh, you spent 10,000 hours, mm-hmm. haven't you? Rialana is an expert at selling children's clothing, it turns out. And so you might want to choose something else <laughs> besides children's clothing. There's plenty of other options, but uh, it just shows that there is power when we take our vision and then we diligently and consistently pursue it. And it's not going to happen overnight for you. It was, it was eight or nine years for Stumo. It was these two different phases, you know, many, many years. And then ultimately there was a big increase, a big impact. So the first step is write down your visions and then start trying them out. Start now and diligently pursue them. So Rilana, you've already brought up the idea of community when you talked about your community Bible study and how that was such a support for you. So let's talk more about community. The truth is everybody has community. Some communities are positive influences. Some are negative. And so we're talking about a simple idea. Your community is just the people and ideas that influence you. That's your community. Back in the old days before the internet, your community was more of a physical place, typically the place where you lived. Your neighbors were your community because they were the ones you talked to, you listened to, and you lived life with every day. Today, your community consists of concentric circles of influence. You have a core group of influencers, the ones that have most impact on how you think and what you think and the decisions you make. This is your inner circle. So maybe that's your family or your best friend group or a key professor or a pastor or a mentor might be in that circle or even a public figure that you greatly admire. You're going to run your ideas past the people in this inner circle You care about what they think. You'll definitely listen to what they say and what they do on Snapchat or TikTok or, you know, whatever, whatever you're being influenced by. For example, here's a couple of communities on a graphic. On the left is what I would call a wide road community that starts without God. There's a self-directed life there in the middle with a set of personal beliefs. There's a person that then listens to the voices that affirm their worldly choices. 
And then on the right is actually our Stumo member care circles for our missionary and agents, our missionaries in Asia. It starts with an intimate relationship with God. We want them to have a strong relationship with the Lord and then a strong, godly inner circle that understand what they're doing. Then that's supported by biblical organizations like Stumo and like the local church. And we know they're going to be under a lot of pressure, a lot of opposition. They live in a foreign culture. Plus, like all of us, they've got these same old voices and old worldly choices from their previous life that we all want to die to daily. We want our missionaries to cultivate a community that starts with this intimate relationship with God then builds positive, affirming voices and choices. And you know what? You need exactly the same thing in your job, in your career, in Houston, Texas, wherever God puts you in the real world. You need intimacy with God, a strong inner circle, and then supportive biblical communities. And then on the outer rings are the possibility of getting professional counseling when their strongholds may be complex childhood traumas or special needs for ongoing attention. And this is sort of where I wanted to share personally. For me, 10 years into our marriage, I had significant weakness in my own community. I was plugged into a relationship with God and we were committed to our church. I had good friends. But Rialana and I faced a lot of conflict in our marriage. We really needed professional counseling. We had some new stresses from moving from the corporate life to the ministry life. But in the beginning, I felt ashamed as a Christian leader in full-time ministry that I would need to get professional help. In my generation, getting counseling was a sign of weakness and defeat. But in the end, I love my wife and I wanted to do anything to help our relationship. The transition to ministry life exposed some weaknesses in our relationship and caused a lot of conflict to bubble to the surface. I had a lot of selfish expectations, a lot of sinful pride. I was closed off to Rialana's opinions, which was really hurtful to her. So I had to humble myself. I had to admit that I didn't know answers. I didn't understand my wife, and I needed to learn to be sensitive to her and to care about the special things and the specific things that were important to her and to build my relationship with her. And so we had been in counseling together even this past year. It helped us to go through counseling together to work through some more things because we're committed to growing deeper in our relationship and in our marriage. We think our best years are yet to come. That's right. That's right. So your community needs a strong inner circle, plus it also needs access to experts, accountability partners, your church leadership and community, recommended books, podcasts, webinars, and sometimes personal counseling are all part of your community. You have to take initiative to cultivate your community and seek out the influences that support your visions. You have to take um, responsibility and action to do that, and that will guarantee your impact. So let's talk a little more about our inner circle. This may be something that you haven't thought much about, but you really do need to be strategic about those that are in your inner circle. There may be family members or friends that really don't belong there. Sure. The, this inner circle A is about refreshment, encouragement, love, and challenging. And then if you look at inner circle B, um, this is you experience drainage, doubt, discouragement, and expectations. So inner circle B is 
is bringing us down. And there are voices that really shouldn't be allowed to have that kind of influence in your life. Maybe there are people that for a time need to be removed from your life, or you will move them out of your inner circle and into your ministry. And so this really emphasizes the choice of a spouse, right, mm-hmm, Dave? Mm-hmm. Um, the spouse will either be part of the inner circle and you'll be part of theirs, or the spouse will be a lifetime ministry project. Yeah, and there are a lot of marriages like that where one spouse is not that committed, and so they're sort of the project of the other. Now, I will admit, though, that I'm still real honest ministry project. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but by God's grace, we've been able to help and encourage one another toward our goals. That's right. Okay, let's go to work. On the graphic, you can see two words uh, written there on the narrow road, blessings and baggage. In this room, you're carrying with you from your own family, both blessings and baggage. Your blessings could be a Christian upbringing, maybe a solid home life or a great work ethic. You have a college education. You may have financial resources. All these are potential blessings that you can use to build your future life. But also, you're carrying baggage. Maybe you have terrible conflict resolution skills in your family, or maybe you have a broken family. Maybe you have a lot of college debt. Maybe your knowledge of scripture is low. In a minute, we're going to stop and talk about your blessings and your baggage. You're going to get a chance to mention those. So let's take a minute and let's get with one or two people around you and discuss these two questions. What blessings do you carry with you from your original family? And what baggage? Just pick one or two and don't feel like you need to talk about the skeletons in your family closet today. You can save that discussion for your inner circle. And speaking of your inner circle, the next thing we'll do is take a minute to talk about how you feel about your inner circle. Are there people that you need to remove or add? Is your inner circle helping or hurting you? So go ahead and get started, and we'll let you know when to switch the discussion. So we want to wrap it up with a really important topic about community, and that is the local church. Let's look at four kinds of college grads, and to be sure we're making generalizations, no one fits this exactly. But number one, grew up in church, came to know Jesus there, and views the church community and culture as very important in supporting her Christian walk. It's been there for her in the past, and she looks forward to the role that the church will play in her future. Now, person number two grew up in church, but it wasn't until coming to college that he realized that he was more of a cultural Christian. He discovered that he actually needed a personal relationship with Jesus in college. And now that he has real faith, he has access to so much of the knowledge that he learned back in his church-going days. He's comfortable going back to church and is now making the most of his time there with his newfound faith. Now, number three has almost no church exposure whatsoever back in his younger days. His family never attended, and maybe he's been inside a church for weddings and holidays, but he came to know Jesus in college. He gave up a worldly lifestyle, and now he's trying to grow in his faith and even make a spiritual impact on campus. His support group is his believing friends. He went to Cleo. He grew a ton in knowledge and character and in vision at Kaleo. Yet when he leaves campus, he's leaving the only believing community that he's ever been a part of. 
And then person number four maybe came to SMC still searching for spiritual answers. She's still unsure about Jesus and placing her life in his hands. Maybe she understands the gospel but is still holding on to her life. Maybe she has questions about Jesus and what he has to offer her. So I think for a long time, we really didn't appreciate the differences in these people, especially these first three people. But when it comes to making the jump from the college ministry to a church in the real world, they have different challenges. So I'm going to throw a sort of a crazy verse at you. Uh, This is from King David in Psalm 68. He says this, Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of God my King, into the sanctuary, the singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are Israel's fountain. So what we see in this verse is sort of David being excited about a particular way of worshiping. And I don't know what your reaction to this is. It's sort of exciting, but not very familiar to me. Got singers in front, musicians in back, tambourines in the middle. So how comfortable would you be with this kind of experience? Again, David is this wartime king, and he's really hearkening back to the days when he had this kind of a worship experience. And so a person number one and a person number two can probably relate to King David. They've had these memorable experiences inside the walls of a sanctuary. It's a very familiar place to them. When God works in your life, he tends to connect that impact with the place that it happened and the people who were there. Why is Cleo sometimes called the summer of your life? Because that's where God worked in your life. So what challenges do people have in this category three compared to those in category number one and number two? And even those categories, one and two, who now want to make their own choices for church, which may be different from their parents. The point is, you're never going to replicate the college campus. Life is different in the real world. Churches are different, maybe better in some ways and maybe unfamiliar. We really want to encourage you to make it a priority to make this leap from faith on the campus to the local church. It is really easy to get busy with a lot of transition and never get around to it and to take it for granted. But the problem is, as we've already talked about, we've seen key student leaders shipwreck their faith by not making this a priority. They were not careful about building a new community and the voices that would encourage their faith. Instead, they fell back to old voices and bad choices. And those old voices will always be there. And that's why you absolutely must rebuild your community when you move out of your college campus community. We really encourage you to be open to new voices, maybe even people our age, and also faithful people who never got involved in STUMO. They'll definitely have experiences to offer you, and you will have perspectives and knowledge which God will use in their lives. This sharpening process absolutely cannot happen if you're not engaged in a church community. And there's nothing out there in the real world, that can substitute. It can't be your weekend hiking buddies. It can't be your road trippers. They can't help you make it all the way to your 50s and 60s and 70s on the narrow road. By then, you need to be the one sitting in our seats trying to help along the next generation. So let's take a minute and answer these questions. How do you view the church 
And where do your views of the church come from? Well, guys, it's totally worth it to live in the real world on this narrow road. So keep fighting for your hopes and dreams in your life. Write them down and start trying them out now. I'd like to share this verse as a final encouragement to us. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. My friends, Jesus is the rock that won't move. His words are truth, giving life and freedom. There are lots of opinions and voices out there in our culture. Hmm. Sometimes we just need to turn it all off and listen to the one voice who matters most and will guide us. That's absolutely true. And I guess there's one thing I wanted to say is that you need to remember that there is absolutely nothing that you've done that Jesus can't forgive. He literally can forgive anything, and that's why he came. And there's nothing that's happened to you that he and your community can't heal. He has grace and power to heal your hurts. Well, thanks for taking some time to talk about faith in the real world today. We hope that God will use this to start a process to build vision and community in your post-college life on the narrow road in the real world. Thanks.